don't you turn to the person next to you, give them a high five, say, I'm a disciple maker. Some of you are sitting there thinking, how in the world am I a disciple maker? Just by being in church, you are having an influence on others around you. Amen. And disciple making is simply sharing your journey with somebody else. Amen. And that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Who remembers what their homework was? Anybody remember? Who actually read it? Second Samuel chapter 4. I asked you to read the story about someone whose name was? Mephibosheth. Thank you. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Mephibosheth. Aren't you glad your mama didn't call you Mephibosheth? Can you imagine spelling that every time? I mean, you could probably shorten it to meth, but that's not a good name either, is it? <laughs> Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Second Samuel chapter 4. Why don't we turn there this morning? Mephibosheth. Second Samuel chapter 4. Say amen when you're there. says, and Jonathan, everyone say Jonathan. Pay attention. <laughs> Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass that as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Everyone say it again. Mephibosheth, by the time we leave, you'll all know how to spell it. Mephibosheth. Praise the Lord. Let me give you a little bit of a background. Yes, thank you. Let me give you a little bit of a background on the story of Mephibosheth. Praise the Lord. Technical difficulties. Let me give you a little bit of background about Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And for those of you who may or may not know the Bible really well, the story between David and Saul was that while Saul had been anointed the king, David had been anointed as the true king of Israel because Saul had failed God. He had been disobedient. He had rebelled. He had not done what God had asked him to do. Amen. And so David had been chosen to be king and Saul hunted David. David and Jonathan became very good friends though. Now Jonathan was King Saul's son. And one day there was a battle between the children of Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines were the children of Israel's greatest enemy. 
And as they began to fight, the battle did not go well for the children of Israel. As they fought, the battle turned against them. And Jonathan and Saul, the king and the prince of Israel, were both killed in battle by the Philistines. And as you can imagine, when the leader of your army and one of the commanders that is high up in the army is killed, it causes chaos, it causes panic, it causes worries. And, and the army fled. It broke and it fled and it, it ran away from the Philistines. And one of the runners came to where Jonathan lived. Jonathan had a son who was five years old, whose name was Mephibosheth. And he had a nurse who was looking after him. And when the nurse heard the news that the armies of Israel had been defeated, that King Saul, the child's grandfather, was dead, that Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father, was dead. The Bible tells us that the nurse panicked. She got frightened. She got scared. And she scooped up Mephibosheth, who was only five, and she began to just flee. She ran for her life. And as she was running, the Bible tells us that she dropped Mephibosheth. If there is one thing in life you don't want to drop, it's your baby. Amen? I nearly dropped Jonathan once. He was in my arms, and all of a sudden, he was only about nine months, a year old. He decided to try and throw himself out of my arms while I'm holding him. I'm like, ah, whew. I just wasn't ready for it. But as this nurse was running, she was running away. She wasn't exactly sure why she was running. All she knew was that the armies of Israel had been defeated. Saul and Jonathan were dead. And as she was running, she dropped Mephibosheth. And in dropping him, the Bible tells us that she caused him an injury that he lived with for the rest of his life. The Bible tells us that he was lame. He was no longer able to walk. Amen. Now, Mephibosheth was lame because of the nurse's hurry. She was in a rush. Her rush, her hurry became his harm. She wasn't hurt. She wasn't injured. No impairment came to her because of her hurry. But because of her rush, the baby that she was responsible to look after, he was the one that was injured. He was the one that was harmed. Forever, he was handicapped by her rush. He was known as the child who was lame, the one who was not fit. And you got to understand, back then, if you were lame, you couldn't even get into the temple to worship God. You just weren't allowed. Because you were not perfect. Right? And so because of her rush, because of her hurry, because of her haste, Mephibosheth is the one who is penalized for that. Mephibosheth is the one who is suffering because of that. He was forever handicapped. Here's the lesson, number one, that we can learn from the life of Mephibosheth. Number one, you cannot hurry new disciples. You cannot rush 
new babies. Amen. And this just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, when you go and have, when, when little Billy was born, right? Sister Neil is in the hospital. Little Billy's born. Everyone's really excited. She didn't turn to him and say, well, I hope you can cook because you've caused me so much trouble for the last nine months. You're doing dinner tonight. Of course not. Nobody expects a baby to do that. Amen. And, and as we grow, we learn different skills and different abilities, don't we? You might not expect a baby to cook, and you don't expect a five-year-old to cook. But you might expect a five-year-old to clean their room, but you don't expect a baby to clean their room. You see what I mean? There's this, this progression as, as people mature and as they grow, they, they learn new skills. They learn more about being a human being and how to function in society. And, and then they go to school and they learn how to interact with other people and they begin to, to grow and mature. It's the same thing in the church. See, we have to be careful. If we are a church of disciple makers, we have to be careful that we don't rush our new babies. We have to be careful that we don't push people along in their journey. And see, this often happens in a church because we look at people and we start making judgments and say things like, well, when I became a Christian after one year, I was doing this and this and this, and this person's been living for God for the last two years, and look at what they're doing. Amen. You see, the thing is, is that we're all on a journey and people grow and learn at a different rate. Our job is to support them. Our job is to help encourage them and teach them and help them learn and help them grow and help them feel like they belong and they fit in. Amen. But too often we get so caught up, we're going, right, well, you need to be doing this now and you need to be doing this now and you need to be doing this now. And we, we rush babies along. And the problem with rushing them is they get dropped. And when they get dropped, they get injured. I just wonder this morning, just wonder, not talking just about our church, but all, of, all, all churches, I wonder how many people have had ministries that were snuffed out before they even began because they walked into a church and someone said, you're not a good enough person to be in this church. You need to be up here where we all are, and you're down here. I just wonder what kind of impact has been lost. I just wonder what kind of ministries have been shut down because we make judgments based on where we think people should be. Hello. Amen. Rush. Haste. Disciples cannot be rushed. There has to be a progressive revelation of God. Think about how little the average new convert actually knows about God. There are some people who will come into our church who know nothing about Jesus. I've met some people, if you believe this, I've met some people who I've said, have you heard about Jesus? And they go, who's that? They've never even heard of the name of Jesus. 
See, and we've got to learn to put ourselves into this mindset to understand when people come through that door, they're coming with different levels of understanding and different knowledge of God's Word and where they're at. And our job is not to go, well, no, you don't line up with exactly how we read God's Word. So get out. No way. You know, I had a question the other day. This might be slightly controversial. Is that okay? Can I be slightly controversial? I had a question the other day from someone. He said, Pastor... If someone who was homosexual came to the church, would you welcome them? I said, absolutely. Because I would rather them be in my church offending everybody, but hearing God's word, than say, nah, you're not welcome in here because you don't match the lifestyle. Get out. Amen. But I started to think about this. What would happen if they came in and they stayed, but they didn't want to change their lifestyle? That's a tough choice, isn't it? Do we kick them out? Or do we say, no, 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 you can stay in here. I actually think we let them stay. Because while they are here, they're still hearing God's word. They're still hearing the truth. They're still hearing that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares for them, that he's got a plan and a purpose for their life. Amen? Now, that's interesting because a lot of people get very holy. They say, wow, we can't have people like that now. But see, these are the people that Jesus reached for. Who did Jesus hang out with when he was on the earth? The Bible said, I didn't come to the well. The well have no need of a physician. I came to reach the sick. I came to reach the lost. And that's what the church is here for. We want people to change. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should just come and stay as you are for the rest of your life. No, we want people to change. But it is through the power of hearing God's word preached that people are changed. People are not going to change just because you win a logical argument with them. But when the light of the Word of God is exposed to people's life, that's when change can begin to happen. Praise the Lord. See, imagine, imagine, for example, a Harvard math professor, right? You all heard of Harvard, right? Put your hands up if you heard of Harvard University in America, right? Harvard. It's like, right at the top there. You put your resume down, say, I got a diploma from Harvard. They're like, whoa, that's really cool, right? It's the top. But imagine a math professor from Harvard, right? And he teaches calculus, and advanced algebra. And we put him in a grade three class and tell him to teach advanced math and calculus. Are they going to learn? Not at all. It will be so far over their head. The teacher is going to get frustrated because these kids don't understand what's going on. The kids are going to get frustrated because they have no idea what the teacher is talking about. But here's the thing. Before you get to algebra, before you get to calculus, you need to know how to count from 1 to 10. Then you need to know how to do addition and subtraction. Then you need to know how to do multiplication and division. 
Then you need to know how to do sine and tan calculations and, and you need to learn how to work out algebra and what equations, how equations work out. You see, there's got to be a foundation that is built line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little, the Bible says. You've got to get that foundation in place before you can start teaching about algebra and calculus. And it's the same with the church. See, often without, without hurry to get people, they come in and we're like, okay, you need to be from here to here in two weeks. And it's too much. We can't expect people to do that. We need to start building the relationship, teaching them about God's Word. We can't teach people what it means and what the tabernacle plan is if they don't even know how to pray. We need to teach them how to pray. We can't teach them who Melchizedek was and do a three-hour Bible study on how Jesus is a type of Melchizedek without teaching them how to read God's Word. You've got to start at the basic, at the foundational level. Amen? The good thing that means is that everybody has potential. You see, we like to make judgments, don't we? I'm being really honest this morning. Someone walks in the door and we look at them and we categorize them. And we're like, yeah, that'd be a good fit for our church. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, sheesh, who's that walked in our door? Where have they been? But the truth is, is that if we understand that a disciple, a disciple can start literally from ground zero and know nothing about God, if our church is willing to coach that and teach that and learn that and love that person, they can grow to a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen. It doesn't matter where the journey starts. It's just got to be in God's time. Amen. You cannot hurry. You cannot hurry. You see, we tend to fear when there's babies in our care. We want them to live up to a certain lifestyle. We don't want them to make mistakes. We don't want them to embarrass us. You know, oh, don't go talk to that person. Hello? But the truth is, is getting upset with our spiritual babies is just as logical as a mother getting upset with a three-month-old because they did a derpy, dirty diaper, a dirty nappy. It just doesn't make sense, does it? It's the same thing spiritually. It doesn't make sense to get upset with people just because of where they are. And so what we need to learn as a church is we need to not fear any outside pressure. New converts are not to be hurried to responsibilities that they are not ready for. We are not here to rush people through. We are here to love people, to teach people, to help people grow. Amen. The Bible says that in, when Paul was talking about his role in the church, he said, I watered, Apollos planted, but God brings the increase. I can't make anybody a better disciple of Jesus Christ just within my own ability. What I can do is show them God's word that's relevant to where they are at in their journey. And God can bring the increase. Amen. So we can't hurry them. What this also means for our church is that we need to learn how to encourage and equip new babies for an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. That means, church, we need to be in prayer. 
We need to be reading our Bible every day. How can we teach someone, well, you know, this is what it means to be a Christian. You've got to get these basic spiritual disciplines down. You know, you've got to read God's Word. You've got to pray. But how can we encourage that if we're not praying? Hello? If we're not reading God's Word. Amen? Let me just take this moment to encourage everybody. Please, can I remind you all, prayer starts at 9 o'clock. No, it does not. I was testing you. Prayer starts at 9. Maybe you should say prayer starts at 9 o'clock. Prayer starts at 9.30. Not 9.35. Not 9.45. Not 5 to 10. Prayer starts at 9.30. I encourage you to be here when prayer starts. Why? Why? Because there's a newborn baby who I'm telling, you need to spend time in prayer. And they come, and they look around, and all the other mature Christians aren't in prayer. Well, pastor, I mean, sure, you're telling me I need to pray, but no one else comes. Hello? It just makes sense, doesn't it? And so we need to, as a church, we need to be dedicated to those spiritual disciplines. We've got to read God's Word. We've got to spend time in prayer. We have to pay our tithe. Hello? Because a new disciple is looking at that and they're going, why do I have to give 10% to the church? And pastor teaches them. The disciple maker teaches them. They go through a Bible study. And they look around and 80% of the church doesn't put anything in the offering. You see, we've got to get these disciplines right. Now, I'm not saying we have a problem with that. But what I'm saying is we cannot just say one thing and do another. It just makes sense, doesn't it? So we need to be dedicated to those spiritual disciplines of giving, prayer, Bible reading, faithfulness to God's house. Otherwise, the babies that we've got, why would they do it? Don't you know that kids do what their parents do? I'm just waiting for, you know, even now, Jonathan says some things that we're just like, Oh, sheesh, that was you, Mama. Or that was me, Daddy. Why? Because he hears us talk. He acts like us, right? New babies, spiritually speaking, will do the same. Amen? Praise the Lord. We cannot get into a rush. Now, let's talk about something else. Talking about Mephibosheth this morning. Why was she running away? We know that she was in a rush, but why was she running away? Anybody? Right. Absolutely. She was afraid. She had fear. That's why she was running. She didn't know all the details. She just knew one the king was dead, the army was gone. Two, the Philistines could be coming, could not be coming, we don't know. But three, she also knew that King David would possibly be the king. And very typically, when a new king took over from an old king, there would be a purge of the old king's house. Right? And so she was afraid. And it was her fear that caused her to grab that baby and run for her life. She didn't really know where she was running, 
but she was afraid. Can I tell you something? Let's just be really, really honest. People can tell if you don't want them around. Looking at everyone, smiling. I want everybody here. (laughs) People can tell very, very easily if they're not welcome somewhere. People can tell very, very easily if they want them around. Because it's not something that is said, but it's a behavior. Both Pharaoh, King Pharaoh, or Pharaoh, I guess his name was, and, and King Herod, they lived in different eras, but they were both motivated by fear. Herod and Pharaoh were threatened by infants. Each newborn Hebrew was a threat, and we know the story, right? Pharaoh in the Old Testament, he passed a decree that said every Hebrew male child that was born was to be thrown into the Nile River. He would have wiped out thousands, tens of thousands of babies. Herod was something similar. Herod heard that there was a king who had been born in the town of Bethlehem. And so Herod's order was to go through the town of Bethlehem and kill every child, every male child under the age of two years old. Their response to their fear was to kill it, to kill what was frightening them. Now let's get really sensitive, shall we? An average church operates on a very delicate balance. People like to sit in the same chair. We like the edge chairs because we don't want to sit in the middle. We make our guests crawl over the top of us. That's why we set up visitors' chairs at the back there for people who are visitors to sit in. Brother Drew, (laughs) looking at you. (laughs) Social groups are clearly defined. Amen. I have observed, this is just an observation, it's neither bad nor good, but I have observed that when church is finished, within about two or three minutes, Brother Kenneth, Brother Stan, and Brother Drew will be talking together. It's not bad, it's not good, just an observation. I have also observed that after church, all the Africans just go... And you guys are going off in French, and I'm like, oh, wee, 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 wee. (laughs) I have observed that Sister Wapow likes to sit next to Sister Gara. I have observed that Sister Linda and her family always sit in that back corner. I've observed, it's not good. It's not bad that the pastor always sits down the front there. Me too. So maybe today I might sit here. 
except I'm preaching today. But you see what I mean? When people come into our church, we already have these social constructs and these different defined rules of how our little group works together. And, and when someone comes into that, it's very easy for them to feel like they're an outsider. Right, Sister Debbie? Sister Debbie's an expert at all this kind of stuff. Right? She teaches this for a living. She should be teaching this. Amen? And so when they come in, they feel like, oh, I don't fit in here. You know, and, and they see people in the little groups. And, 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 and the problem is, is that we can react by fear because somebody comes into church to visit us. And heaven forbid, but they sit in your seat. How dare they? Don't they know that there's a special anointing for me in this seat? Hello? True story, yeah? We like things done our way, and we get frightened when someone comes in who threatens that balance. You see, everybody in this church knows everybody, don't we? We all know each other. And that's one of the reasons why at the end of service or, or before I preach, I say, you know, if there's someone sitting next to you you don't know, introduce yourself. Right? Step out of your comfort zone. Because we shouldn't be threatened, amen, by spiritual babies. Hmm. We get very used to our roles and our responsibilities, don't we? we? We like things to be the way they are. But what would happen if we just changed everything up? Next week, I say, right, everyone sitting over there, you need to sit in the middle. Everyone sitting in the middle has to sit over there. Everyone over there has got to sit on the far end. And, and it would just be chaos. Because everybody walks in. I mean, I remember, let's just, let's just be honest, when we first put those reserved seats sign down, some people really got quite upset with pastor. That's my chair. That's my chair. Pastor's reserved it. Well, I'm going to sit here anyway. Amen. Because we're frightened by change. We're frightened when someone steps in that is different to us. And that's one of the reasons why I love how diverse our church is becoming. Because every single one of us is different. I don't dance like Brother Isaac dances. I can't. I would look very funny. He's different to me. But I love him. He's my brother. And we want that in our church. Amen. We want that difference in our church. Amen. Because when people come in, they need to feel like, hey, I could fit in here. Everyone's different. Amen. Amen. There was a research project that was done. How are we doing for time? Okay, we're running out of time. They asked people, a bunch of people, they said, these, these were people who had left church, they'd stopped going to church. They said, why did you stop going to church? That was the first question. And 75% of the people who answered said, I did not feel like I was a part of the group. Now, isn't that terrible? That somebody could come here when our when our mission is to reach people beyond these walls, that somebody could come in and feel like they don't fit in. 75% of people. 
when asked, why did you drop out? Why did you stop coming to church? First, the, question, the answer for 75% was, I did not feel like I was part of the group. The second question was this, what would influence your choice of a new church home? And again, just over 70-something percent said the friendliness of the church people. How we respond in welcoming newcomers and making them feel like they belong is important. That's why part of our vision is to reach, make, and what? Belong. We have to make people feel like we, they belong here. That's why I say it doesn't really matter where they come from, what their background is, how much they know about God, how little they know about God. I want them to feel like they can fit in at Hope Divine Pentecostal Church. Amen? So what are some remedies for fearing the baby? We have to be, as church leaders, we have to be very visible in spending time with new converts. It's one of the reasons when someone visits us for the first time, I normally make a beeline for them after church because I want to say hello to them. I want to get to know them. But it's not just up to the pastor. It's not just up to the leadership, right? When someone new comes, we need to say hello to them. Now, don't all swamp them, obviously, right? When a new person comes in, we don't need to go every single one of them. That'll just probably freak them out. But just if you see them sitting there alone for just a few minutes, go say hello to them. You know what else you could do? This is a really powerful thing. You ready? Would you like to come and have coffee with me? That wasn't a question for you to ask me. <laughs> ask somebody new, would you like to have coffee with me? If you're comfortable, if it's appropriate. Right? Because so often when people walk through those doors, they see us as some sort of a, a mysterious kind of super holy Christians. Ooh, I could never be like them. I mean, I met some people who said, man, I could never go to church, pastor. Because, you know, God would strike me dead the moment I stepped in. No, he wouldn't. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I was a little boy. Let me tell you a story. Do you like me telling stories? I like telling stories. I remember when I was growing up as a little boy, our church was located right next to the Masonic Lodge. Now, churches, anybody can come in, and I knew that. Masonic Lodges, no, 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 you've got to be a member to get in there. You just, nobody just walks in. And I remember as a little boy, about four or five years old, I was very interested in what was going on behind those closed doors. I'd like peek in and what's going on in there? It's, it's interesting. What's going on? It wasn't until... Now, please, maybe we should turn the recording off. Have no fear. I'm not about to go become a Freemason. Okay? But it was when a nice elderly man who was a Freemason said, would you like to come in and have a look around? I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. He took me in. I had no idea. But he took me in and showed me around. He was so kind. You see, people out there have the same thing about our church. They see our flags at the front and they're like, what is going on in there? What's all that shouting? And, and they, they stick their head in and they see people doing this. 
you know, and, and they see people doing this, and they see people doing this, and they see people shouting in some weird language. You guys are Fruit Loops. And they're looking through the glass, and they go, what is going on in there? And so something simple like, would you like to go for a coffee with me? It removes the mystery. It removes the fear because they suddenly realize, hey, they're just a normal people. They're just a normal guy. There's nothing weird about them. They're not freaky. They're not killing some sacrificial goat somewhere out the back. No, they're just normal people. Right? And so it's so powerful to be able to do that. So we need to learn how to do that. Amen? You know, and we'll finish off with this because we are running out of time. But we need to have an open door approach. I like to think I have an open door approach. It's one of the reasons why after church I don't like to go into my office and just shut the door. I want people to be able to come and talk to me. Right? I want people to be able to ask me questions, anything they've got on their mind. You know, I think the largest word that Jesus ever used in the Bible was whosoever. Whosoever. The word he seemed to like the best was come. Jesus' idea was whosoever will, let him come. We need to be the same, amen? Jesus aggressively welcomed all sorts of people. Didn't matter if they were tax collectors. Didn't matter if they were um, fishermen. Didn't matter if they were educated, uneducated. Didn't matter. He welcomed everybody. Everybody could come to him, amen? So as a church, we need to be open to people who are different to us, who think different to us, who act different to us, who look different to us, who worship God different to us. We need to be open to them coming. We cannot fear the newborn baby. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Got a little bit longer than I normally like to go for. Everyone say Mephibosheth. What do we learn from Mephibosheth? We cannot hurry new babies and we cannot fear new babies. Everyone say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Precious Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for these lessons that we're going to...